Jonathan. And this is the show where we rewatch the Tudors, or in your case, watch, watch it for the first time yeah. and talk about the history behind the drama. And so the background is that I have another podcast, the Renaissance English History Podcast. And in that show, I talk about other aspects of 16th century England. And I thought it would be fun to have a different show where we went back and looked at the Tudors. And talked about what was true and what wasn't. And, and my background is that I really know nothing about history. You know, on one of our first it, dates, it, yeah. you asked me why anybody would actually want to study history. I did. You're I, asking me genuinely. I actually went there and said, why would anyone? Oh, what did you major in history? Why would anyone want to major in history? You gave me a pretty good answer. I married it, you. It anyway. worked. It worked. You got me to marry you. So Wait. No, you got me to marry you. Oh, yeah, that's how that goes. That's what I meant. Um, so, yeah, I know nothing about history except that my wife likes it. So I thought this would be a good way for me to sort of catch up a, a little bit on your favorite period of of world history, which is this time. So Isn't it's perfect. Funny? And they made a, a cool TV show just just for the occasion. So, okay. and, 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 I'm, and I have to say that I'm quite enjoying this history stuff a little bit um it's it's interesting and intriguing and i can actually like understand for myself why a person would be interested in history like it doesn't just seem boring i was one of those people that just thought it was dates and battles and who cares like i don't care what if this if this king was born in this day i don't care but and this stuff this history cool it's fun i don't have to remember any dates and you know the thing is anyone's name like what I'm much more interested in, like the Tudors focuses on the Tudor court, right? Mm-hmm. And if that's where all the drama was, and that's great. But I'm really interested in how everyday lives were impacted by the decisions that were made. And it's interesting now looking back at like what was happening at the Tudor court and seeing like how like it's not just about dates and treaties and whatever, but each of these things are are important because they affected millions of people's lives. So Henry having a crush on Anne Boleyn and going away from the church, from the Catholic mm-hmm. church, impacted the faith, like literally what you were allowed to believe yeah. for millions and millions of people. And that's like why it's important. And it still is, is with us. Yeah. I mean, still now. Yeah. Like we're not all Catholic. Yeah. Well, not we. Well, but, but, England yeah. is the Church of England. and. Yep. It was actually kind of illegal to be Catholic, and Catholics couldn't be elected to Parliament until yeah. like the 19th century. So enough, enough, okay, ch- enough, enough chit chat, chit chat. Moving on. So this is episode seven, and it's called "Message to the Emperor." And in this episode, everybody's sick. The yes. sweating sickness comes to England, yeah. and this actually did happen. There was a massive sweating sickness epidemic in 1528. Much of what happens in this episode is actually true. So we're gonna like extrapolate to talk about the sweating sickness and about what it was like for average people and how, what medicine could do for it. it not a lot. And, um, you know, a little bit about that, I think during this episode. So you're going to, you're going to ask me questions. I am. And we're going to do the spoiler alert. Yeah. Just a brief spoiler alert. We're going to talk about the episode. So if you haven't seen the episode, you probably want to watch it first. And, and we're also going to talk generally about sort of, 
future events. So, you know, don't be too upset if we tell you something like Henry has more than a few wives. Like that's, <laughs> I think you would know that, but yeah. Anyway, so just be warned that, that y- there you might, might be, be spoilers. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Should we get started? Or did let's you want to say do it. No, you can, let's get started. All right. So I was confused when they went through the recap of last week. Um, Last week I had been confused about Thomas More and Woolsey talking about how, you know, Woolsey could almost become the Pope. And, mm-hmm. and, and now I get it. I mean, I, I, I sort of understand a little better the bigger picture and how if the Pope, you know, was captured and then here we are having Woolsey convening a bunch of people and them giving him the power to make such high decisions he's mm-hmm. kind of putting he's himself kind of. like in the pope seat yeah um, and that's sort of uh yeah that's that's something he's getting a lot of power yeah, yeah. you know or he was close or Woolsey also was kind of um known for taking the pope's job when when he could get a chance to like in the first episode we talked it was the field of cloth of gold and there was Woolsey negotiating this treaty of peace of perpetual peace and interestingly i just read for something else i was working on that this treaty of london that was supposed to be the treaty of universal peace was actually the pope's idea (laughs) several years before and the idea was to get all these people to agree to having this perpetual peace and if you had a problem you would take it to the pope and he would mediate it or whatever and Woolsey was like well you know what we should do that but we should have henry be the one who's gonna be the mediator in certain issues and like so out of that he started doing all this negotiation like totally hijacked the whole idea that's yeah so that's kind of something that took a little power and i get yeah so that's kind of something that Woolsey enjoyed doing he was wily that Woolsey. wily Woolsey. yeah the, the son of a butcher he, you know, he didn't go from the son of a butcher to to cardinal for nothing. Nope. Nope. And just on that on that point, like if so, the Pope escaped as we saw and was yes. living, you know, in the in the what, what what do you call it a not a convent but a monastery in a monastery or something yeah. like that. Um, but if the Pope had not have escaped, Wolsey really could have done well for himself. Woolsey was kind of screwed by the Pope escaping in yeah. this instance. Yeah, because he just, he couldn't. And his hands yeah. were tied and the Pope wasn't going to do anything. And oh, it's Yeah, just the Pope was stuck, you know, so, but the Pope was out. So it was like, well, I can't, yeah, that's, that's tough for Woolsey. Yeah. So you, you wanted to say something. There was a, a line that mentioned a headache. Was that like Henry writing or? Yeah, no, he, in the, they showed him having dinner with Woolsey mm-hmm. and he was talking about different books that he'd read. And he said something to Anne about, you know, I didn't write you such a long letter because I had a headache or sometimes I read too late into the night and it gives me headaches. And, um, there are the love letters that Henry wrote to Anne. Mm-hmm. And in one of them, he talks about how he can't write to her very much because of he has a headache because he was reading too much late into the night and mm-hmm. it gave him a headache. And it's just funny. Like so we actually a, have these physical letters. That, yeah. That's yeah. so cool. You, you said that like, and they have them in a, they're in the yeah. Vatican library. They were apparently stolen from Anne. Yeah. And they're in the Vatican library. Now. And the Pope's like, well, well, Woolsey, you tried to take all my power. So I'll take Anne and Henry love letters. And, exactly. And that's how I'll get back at you. Yeah. And then Will Compton, 
Yes. Did he really die of sweating sickness? He did really die of sweating sickness. And also, similarly to what we saw on the show, remember the physician came in and he said, you let him fall asleep. Why did you let him fall asleep? He can't fall asleep. There was the belief, apparently one of the symptoms of the sweat was like that you had this um, complete desire to fall, like not even, you were like forced to fall asleep. Yeah, amazingly tired. Right. And um, apparently physicians did think that if you fell asleep at that point, it could be fatal. And so it was actually in state papers. They said that they thought that part of the reason he died was because he was allowed to fall asleep. And I'm... I mean, do you, do we have any idea now if that was like good advice? Because just the little you know bit about you know like health that I know, I'm, I'm no health professional, but yeah, I would imagine if one was extremely sick, sleeping might be a good a thing. good thing. Like, yeah, but I don't know. You know, with concussions, like you're not supposed to go to sleep. So yeah, I mean, maybe I don't know. And there's not. Um, I know you're no health professional yeah. either. There's not a whole lot about it. There, I mean, the sweating sickness is still debated, like what it even is. People I see. Don't so it's not really like know. they found out what it is and they've done. It's not like the Black Death, something. where they, okay. you know, the bubonic plague or whatever. Because yeah, no. they kind of know about that. Now. But there were a couple of physicians. Um, the last outbreak of the sweat was in 1551. And there was a physician at that point who did some studies. Also, there was a physician in the, I think the 1485 outbreak, 1489 maybe, um, that, so we have some, the guy was John either Kay or Caius, and he was at Gonville Hall in Cambridge, and he was the president of the Royal College of Physicians. And he is who we have a lot of the information of symptoms Mm -hmm. and stuff from. And he believed also that it was thought to be fatal if the patient was permitted to give way to this irresistible tendency to sleep. It just made you want to sleep. And if you slept, you would die. Yeah, exactly. And, um, what torture it's like, don't go to sleep. That would, yeah. All I want to do is sleep. So just a a description of the disease. The other thing is like, it began, it was really, really sudden. So they say like, it was like you, like the saying was that you could be merry at breakfast and dead by dinner. And it could really happen that fast. And so I'm just reading from this from this website that talks about the history of the sweat. And it says it began very suddenly with a sa- sense of apprehension. So you would start to feel apprehensive and have cold shivers, sometimes very violent, and then giddiness, headache, and severe pains in the neck, shoulders, and limbs with great prostration. And then after this cold part, which might last from half an hour to three hours, then you had this stage of heat and sweat and the sweat broke out really suddenly. And it seemed like that there was no cause for it. You were just going along being cold and then Mm -hmm. suddenly you start sweating. And then the sweat that was poured out after that came out, you got a sense of heat and then headache and delirium, rapid pulse, intense thirst, and then palpitation and pain in the heart were frequent symptoms no eruption on the skin was observed, so it wasn't like bubonic plague where you had the, yeah, the sores. Stuff. And- yeah, and so Caius, the guy, he doesn't make any kind of allusion to any kind of symptoms like that. And then in the later stages, there was either general prostration and collapse or an irresistible tendency to sleep, and that was thought to be fatal if you were if you gave way to it. That sounds horrible. And it would all happen so fast. I mean, it would literally I mean, thank be- God it wasn't like days, but geez, like, I mean... I- can you yeah. imagine how terrifying that no. would have been? Like, and especially like 
what I think is the craziest part, right, of this mm-hmm. whole thing is that, the, like, the first, I mean, it, it almost seems silly to me that the first symptom is apprehension. Like, wasn't everyone in London, like, apprehensive? Right? I mean, do you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, of course you're scared because, like, you're scared you're going to get it. But then I guess that kind of ramps up. I mean, that's just because then you'd be freaking out, like, do I feel more apprehensive? Like maybe yeah, I'm getting it. Exactly. And it's like, and then also, um, it mostly came in the summer and it would go away by the winter. How weird. Like, I wonder what it was. And then, um, Gosh. it also, I don't know if you remember, but in one of the, when Hen- when Henry was writing to Anne after she went away to Hever castle, he said, you should, he wrote one of his letters to her. You should be fine because usually men are the ones who get it. And that is actually what they found too, that in general, there was a, greater proportion of men mm-hmm. got it um the best age was between 30 and 40 and few women or children died like if you were able to um get it let's see well what does it say it is to be noted that this mortality fell chiefly or rather upon men and those of the best ages between 30 and 40 years so if you were between 30 and 40 that's, you would that's when get you it. would likely yeah Huh, and it says here, this like narrative accounts this emphasized the susceptibility of upper class men yeah. as well. And so, um, Gosh, yeah. Oh, wild! So it really was like a big, yeah, it was like a big thing. Yeah. And so there was multiple, like many outbreaks. Or mm-hmm. like- yeah, there was like, it came, the first one came around 1485. And then there wasn't anything until around well, 1492, then 1502, 1507, then 1528, and then the last major outbreak was 1551. So every, like, 10 years, yeah. sort of. Jeez Louise. Yeah. God, how scary. It's like, like you know, I, I don't know, like, last summer was pretty hot here. Yeah. At least, like, half the town didn't die. Right. Like, also, apparently, this is interesting, um, there was a similar illness that was known as the Picardy sweat in France between 1718 and 1918. So only just a hundred years ago was the last outbreak of that. And so this was this like a London thing? This yeah, the sickness? English. The there's this was called the English sweating sickness, and this oh, wow. wasn't and so it, it wasn't spread a to a European couple places. Thing. Like it was just pretty much. Going it was pretty anyway. much yeah. Huh. Yeah, and so I guess also some people guessed, some people at the time thought that maybe because it came at the end of the Wars of the Roses mm-hmm. when Henry the Seventh came, mm-hmm. they thought maybe some of the mercenary soldiers that mm-hmm. he brought from Europe like brought it over. Brought but um, it's kind of far fetched and to happen every ten years. Yeah, no, well, no, I mean, no. like the plague was brought by trade people showing up. On I the know, South but Coast. it didn't disappear for ten years and then no. come back. Well, it did. I mean, different versions of the plague would come and go. So, so the next question I have is why get rid of Norfolk? And I guess it, do you think he's just getting rid of people? He I think he's just like trying to, to circle his wagons, just clean house. So this is when Woolsey sends Norfolk back yeah, to his yeah, estate. He's like, yeah, we need East you to Anglia. we need you to hang out there. Why? Uh, well, the, we the king said yeah. there's something important, very important. Wink, wink. Yeah, he's just trying um, to get rid of people who are his enemies. And then I thought it was a cool scene. Like, they showed Henry with all his medicine. Like, he goes over yeah. and opens his medicine chest. Like, that was pretty cool. And you, when I brought that up to you, you kind of said, like, yeah, Henry loved his medicine. So tell me yeah. 
Tell me a little bit about Henry and his medicines. Well, Henry was stuff. actually really hypochondriacal. Like, and I think in part it's because, I mean, his, his brother died possibly of the sweating sickness. Mm-hmm. You know, his brother died when he was young and he saw a lot of his friends dying. And um, he was really like, I think if you're in that position, you could go one of two ways. I, I'm guessing like doing some pop psychology, you could either go like, okay, well I could die tomorrow. So I'm really going to have a lot of fun and just be enjoy life and blah, blah, blah. Or you could be like really hypochondriacal, like, you know, and learn all you can about medicine and mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. And he went that way and he did, he had this whole medicine cabinet and in some, in one of the letters to Anne, he talked about different things that she should be taking. And, you know, he, he had this, he had this traveling medicine cabinet with all these different kinds of things. He was really interested in, um, the voyages to the new world and the different things they were bringing yeah, the back with the, the and medicines stuff. and stuff. Yeah. And so he, he really, he really was like that. And he also, when, whenever there was an outbreak, he sequestered himself like he did in this Mm. episode. He really did. At one point he stayed well, when a severe sweat hit in 1517, he left London for almost a year. Jeez. And at one point he refused to see ambassadors. (laughs) But of course this he was kind of, even when he was in isolation, it was still a little limited exactly, because he had, he had servants and like stuff. the guy dropping off the food. And it's like, yeah. if that guy is going to, you know, and then the one yeah. guy like collapsed. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, okay, well so much for sequestering. You got the guy bringing your food dying. Exactly. Yeah. And he wasn't about to cook his own food. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be funny. That'd be like the comedy, the, the, the <laughs> Tudor's comedy edition, Henry cooking his <laughs> Henry own food. Yeah. I don't know how to cook this. Yeah, and he um, did have his like personal physician, and when Anne got sick, he sent um, he sent his physician to check on her. And, and stuff I'm like sure that. he still had like girl like concubines, or what, they just were the sequestered ones. <laughs> I don't no, I don't really think he did because he was so religious and devout. I mean this this ep- this show makes it look like he's yeah, just having sex with everybody the all the time. That, well, it's everyone having sex with everyone all the yeah. time. It's not yeah, just him. You know, it's like. This is a whole different thing, but I really don't know how realistic that is just because of like people getting pregnant and yeah. hiding it. And there wasn't reliable birth control and reliable mm-hmm. abortions and access to that kind of stuff. I mean, there were herbs that people took and yeah, stuff like that. But, and I just don't any, anyway, Henry was really devout and yeah. you know, he, he actually, as far as Kings and mistresses go, he didn't he wasn't that have bad. that many. He yeah. wasn't like, who was it? The lady, yeah, who, the baby me. maker. Yeah. yeah. Anne of Cleves' grandfather, I think. So it's just, it's not a question, but just a mention. That was a strange Thomas Tallis scene with like the two girls came in and he like told the one to stay and started making out with her. And like, yeah. this is, this show's just kind of interesting. They're doing like really strange things to Thomas Tallis. I yeah. Don't, I don't understand it. Um, and then the Naples, the Battle of Naples or whatever yeah. that was like they referred to it what was like was that part of a war that was just was... part of this ongoing war that the sack of rome was part of and it, it's really complicated it's called like the the italian states war and it was basically because charles emperor charles v mm-hmm. came from the Habsburgs, and then he also became the king of spain and he had all these dominions and apparently through one of his lines he thought he had a claim to these different states that were Italian states. And I mean, it was just, I mean, but France had a claim to, and so in general, it was like England was somewhat united. 
Yes. France was somewhat united. Yes. Spain was somewhat united. Yes. But like Italy and Germany and stuff were just a bunch of little principalities tiny, like, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. States and they were warring with each other and Yeah. So it was kind of like everyone was trying to consolidate power, yeah. I guess. And Germany didn't consolidate until really like the twenty late nineteenth century, Prussia, all that kind of stuff. So Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. Um, so anyway, no, I, I think there were just these Italian states that Charles had a claim to and France had, and they were just like kind of fighting, so just about, fighting it out. And, yeah. And that's where the sack of Rome came from. And, mm-hmm. and there were mercenaries involved and I don't know. Capturing popes, letting them go. You know, why not? Yeah. And, um, so, making treaties, breaking them. Breaking, making. Yeah. Yep. So I don't actually know a whole lot about that war, but okay. that's what that no, was well, that's part not of. Your, that's not your wheelhouse, your historic that's wheelhouse. That's not my jam. I, I like the random heckler that yelled at Henry through the through the trees. Yeah. That was fun. And, you know, this would go on, and there was actually, I think we're going to see it. I don't remember. I think later, I think they show her. There was a woman called the Maid of Kent, Elizabeth Barton, and she... Uh, very publicly came out and said she had visions that if Henry left oh, wow. his wife and she was killed, but well, yeah. um, as still, as were the monks who protected her. We know her name now. And yeah, we do. Yeah, the Elizabeth Barton. And so, um, yeah, she's like, there were cases like this mm-hmm. more and more. It reminds me of that saying or bumper sticker like well-behaved women rarely make history history yeah yeah i don't remember who i think it was the king or someone was praying in latin because mm-hmm. that a, would people pray in latin yeah like primarily or do you do we know so i don't know about just your average joe schmo yeah but educated i don't think folk. your average joe schmo would but yeah because the bible was in latin and so you learned your rosary prayers well, that all that sense. kind of everything yeah, and church services and everything was all in yeah latin. so, so like, the way we learn our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name we would have learned all of that in, in latin. latin so when we went to say it that makes a lot of sense then. yeah and then again not really a question just sort of i mean it's a question but not historical like the charles brandon had a weird sex scene that just seemed strange it was like hey we're going along in the story and look charles brandon's in bed with someone and like do you have any clue i i don't know why they show that i mean i'm um i i don't know whether they were trying to show that people were taking comfort for comfort with things with what was going on or what i i do know that charles brandon likely had mistresses because once um, his wife died. He remarried somebody much younger. Um, and so I suspect he probably, you know, like they they all kind of had mistresses and stuff, and he was part of that. But she so. wasn't dead. No, she wasn't dead yet. Point. No. Okay. But I think that, you know, it probably, like, he was, he was always a womanizer. And so I don't know whether it was just showing mm-hmm. that and setting, setting up for that or what. Um, but I, I, I would suspect it's just to show that how people were trying to take pleasure in everyday life as long as they could. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Okay. So and just about the the sweating sickness again, because they went back like to it. Just that's like really scary. And I think on this outbreak, it was like forty thousand people in London alone got it. Mm-hmm. And so it was a lot of people. It was like a really sad conversation with the king and Wolsey. They were kind of almost saying goodbye to each other. Like they didn't know if they would survive. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. 
You know, and it's also interesting, like people would make their wills and, you know, when we make our wills now, like, it's like, okay, we'll, we'll make our will because you never know what's going to happen, blah, 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 blah. But people then like would actually wait until they were like on their deathbed and they would make their will. Mm-hmm. And women would make their wills before they went into confinement to have babies and stuff like that. And I just think it's interesting. Like you were really like face to face with death, like a lot. Mm-hmm. And like then too, it was like, okay, well, we're, you, you might get sick. I might get sick. Who knows? what's going to happen and we might die. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you might. Yeah. Um, and the queen got really snippy with, with Henry. Yeah, she did. That was something. Yeah. She's telling him what for. Well, I think, yeah, it was because, um, he was sending her off to be with Mary for her protection. Mm-hmm. And she said something like, Oh, but you know, your concubine is staying here. You're yeah. Well, I know why you're sending me. He said, why you're sending me away. Cause I care about you. And she's like, you care about her. Uh huh. Don't act like, I don't know. Yep. She's just putting it out there. Well, she was, do you have any idea what the dream sequence scenes are about? Those just seemed really strange to me. Like he kept having really weird dreams, like just sort of painting the picture of, I think it was fear, just drama, dramatizing the fear. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, I don't, I don't. I've never read anything about Henry that said he was like prone to weird dreams. And this mm-hmm. is now like the second time we've seen that. The first was with the Anne Boleyn, the Anne thing scene. Yeah. So I think that's just kind of their way just of doing like artistic interpretation and stuff. Yeah. So about the Pope, like, I mean, I, I, I about I, the Pope. I'm sure we don't know if he like lived in a tent, but like, what what was his you know, do we know anything about his situation after he had escaped? He was living in, what was it called? Orvieto. Orvieto. Yeah. Which is a little town. And, um, yeah, no, he, he escaped, uh, from what he dressed as a peddler mm-hmm. and got out of his castle, Castle Sant'Angelo. And then he lived in Orvieto. He took shelter is what they call it mm-hmm. in Orvieto. And then, he also lived in, took shelter in a place called Viterbo. And like, how long was he in these places? Well, like a couple months. Let's or? see. He returned to Rome in October, 1528. And the sack of Rome was in 1527. Okay. So, so like he wasn't, he wasn't there bit. for like 10 years or something. Yeah. He, um, no, no. he was kept a prisoner for six months and then he escaped and, you know, lived in those two places and then came back to a devastated and depopulated Rome in oh. 1528. That'd be crazy. No, and it was a terrible, the sack of Rome, like nuns getting raped and like just all, just real nasty. Like mm-hmm. the mercenaries just went crazy. Mm-hmm. It was just like a really bad scene. That's no good. No. And then, so Woolsey went and saw him, or at least in the show. Yes. And the Pope said that he would send, that he wasn't going to make a decision, but he would send his cardinal Mm -hmm. to England to form a court. Yes. And did that, was that a thing? Yeah. That really happened? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was just, uh, Woolsey was the papal legate and then they were, they were going to convene a court, which Campeggio, oh, the Legantine court. There you go. So it was called the Legantine court. Yes. Cardinal nice. Campeggio so and we can Lorenzo put a name on Port. it. Lorenzo Campeggio. Was that the 
the guy he sent. Yes. Lorenzo Campeggio. Well, sorry to Italian speakers of Italian out there. <laughs> Our pronunciation Manja is horrible. Pizza. Spaghetti. Oh, just, just stop. Campeggio. So, was Anne really sick? Like, was that a real thing? Yes. She and her father both got sick. They don't show her father getting sick in the episode. Her and her father both got sick. That's crazy. And they both And lived. they both survived, yeah. Lucky that. I wonder if they were allowed to sleep. <laughs> right? She was, they showed her laying in bed, so. They did. I presume so. Gosh. And one thing about the sweat also is that just because you got it once didn't then make you immune to it. <laughs> so you could get it again. You could get it. Like, and how bad is that be? It's like, oh, I survived once, and now it got me again. Yeah, like, there are cases where people survived, like, two or three outbreaks yeah. and, like, died. Yeah. How horrible. Just kill me. I'd be right. like, okay, if I get this, you know, I survived twice. If I get it a third time, just just, just stab me. Yes. Just put me out of my misery. Uh-huh, just right? horrible. And then they mentioned the Lutheran War. Yes. Uh, in Germany. Like... I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that was real. Like I, I'd never heard of that. Yeah. So there are actually the, the religious wars. And I mentioned the 30 years war, which is actually later. So that was a bad on me. Um, when we were watching it, this one was called the, the German peasants war or the great peasants war or the great peasants revolt, di- different names. And it was from 1424 to 25. And it 15. started, sorry, 15. Yeah. It started as um, an opposition to the aristocracy, but it also had undertones of religious yeah, things shifted. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it apparently the aristocracy slaughtered between one hundred thousand and three hundred thousand peasants Gosh. and farmers. So it wasn't like a two-sided battle. It was just like people getting slaughtered, right? Because like they had farm tools and like yeah. The soldiers had come through with their horses. And exactly. Knives and, and it said swords. that while this was a peasants' revolt, you know, England had a peasants' revolt after mm-hmm. the Black Death and stuff. And so it says, you know, while this was a peasants' revolt, they actually took some of the rhetoric from the Protestant Reformation, which was more about, you know, giving um, power to the people, mm-hmm. as it were. And so they were like kind of taking some of that and using that. And borrowing it. Yeah, yeah, to kind of fuel their their revolt. Wow. Yeah. So then, then they had um, the scene with Moore, Thomas Moore, down in like in his basement, or what? Or they were yeah. all locked up, yeah. or whatever. His family, um, and he was talking to his daughter about how, you know, like these these evil people who, mm-hmm. like, he Moore's really not going to be happy. No, with like Henry leaving the yeah. church on behalf of all of. Like yeah. England and yeah, just he seems pretty serious about his he religion and really, his pope. And really serious about him. And if people want to know more about him, I actually did a podcast episode just on him when he just was on the, Thomas More when he was the Tudor Times Person of the Month a couple of months ago. And nice. He uh, he is really one thing about Thomas More is that he he does not bend with the wind. Yeah, he believes he's what he believes. Solid. Yeah, and his beliefs. Yeah, and I mean, he he was bad for, for him. It. I mean, he's you know uh, to to be honest, just he's kind of my favorite person in that we've met mm-hmm. in all of this. Um, I mean, he just seems like a like a good you know. I mean, like a good guy. I don't know. He just he seems convict. You know, he has convictions. He has strong convictions, and he sticks to them, and he seems. 
it's just nice. It, it seems like you get like what he's thinking, and he's, yeah, he's not well, like he a he's not a yes man. To, yeah, he never pretended to be anything that he wasn't. And, in. and he's also not trying out to get stuff, you know. Because I wouldn't necessarily call Woolsey a yes man, but he's Woolsey's out for Woolsey. Yeah, and you know Henry's kind of out for Henry, yeah. and Thomas More's out for God. Yeah, his his interpretation. Well, yeah, for sure, but, what he um, thinks, and I, that's cool. You know, and Moore also was uh, really liberal in educating women, so he educated his daughter. And to he the seems same like extent. that in, in different ways. Like he yeah. seems sort of very forward thing, well, while being like hardcore, mm-hmm. you know, religious and and traditional in mm-hmm. many sense. He seems quite uh, forward yeah. thinking, like. And even like, you know, I think he's got a lot of beef in recent years because of, um, I think I mentioned before the Wolf Hall books. Um, yeah, you mentioned they painted him kind of not very yeah. good. And people say that, you know, he, he did burn Protestants and, and he did. Yeah, strong convictions. And he really <laughs> truly saw it as a cancer yeah. that you have to cut out. It's well, it's like, like the, it's like the Westboro um, yeah. folks. I mean, they... I think that they truly believe that crazy yeah. stuff that they believe. Yeah. So you can't you, know. you can't knock people for well uh, looking y- back y- you through hindsight. Yeah. You can. Yeah. <laughs> but but you, you know that there's there's I, I think it's respectable that that they believe so strongly. Sure. Or something. <laughs> so do we know? Well, you mentioned this before. Like Henry would coop himself up, like yeah. sequester himself. So that was. Yeah. I mean, that was a real thing. He'd mm-hmm. be like locked in his, not locked, but he'd be up in his room just all alone. Or he'd go from Palestine. Yeah. I mean, or he'd leave left, London. Like it said, left London for almost a year or over, over a year. year. Yeah. That's wild. So he would go from palace to palace out in the countryside and yeah. never stay in one place for too long because he didn't Couldn't want to. do that now as, a, as like a nation's leader. I mean, like a, the president leaving D.C. for yeah. over a year. Like So Woolsey... I guess said he was going to go on a pilgrimage to what Walsingham. Mm-hmm. What's what was like? What's that about? It's what's... funny. I actually just did a Tudor minute on the shrine of Our Lady of Walsingham, nice. and it was a shrine in Norfolk that was I think it was Norfolk, yeah, where um, the it had actually predated the Norman Conquest um, in 1061. This woman who had the land around there, she was a widower. No, a widow, obviously. She was a woman. And she had a dream where, a series of dreams, where um, the Virgin Mary came to her and gave her the exact vision of what their house in Nazareth looked like, where they had Jesus. And she told her to build the exact replica in Walsingham. And it sounds legit. Totally legit, right? And it became this shrine. And interestingly, you know how we can look up and see the Milky Way galaxy? Like in the sky. Um, Back then, they called it Walsingham's Way because it like led to the Shrine of Walsingham. And the thing was, so you would you would um, stop at the one church and take off your shoes, and then you would walk the last like Uh, half mile barefoot. Uh And it was it became they called it like England's Jerusalem. It became it was like the most holy place. It was like a big. It was a huge deal, like really big deal. And people would go for all kinds of things. The most popular reason people would go is for fertility. So Catherine of Aragon went lots of times to try to ask for blessings for fertility. And Henry actually, when they had their first child, he went for thanks. Yeah. And then like by the time he got back, the kid is dead. Close, but yeah. And, um, 
So yeah, people, that was something that it was a, a popular thing to go to pilgrimage mm. to Walsingham and, um, and for different reasons. So that's what he's referring to. Cool. The music at the end, that was Thomas Tallis music. Yes. It was his Lamentations, I believe. It was really beautiful. Oh, I'm glad it you liked it. It almost brought a tear to my eye and I can like for the first time understand why you like that music. Oh, wow. It's really pretty. I really, I really got into that. It touched me. Wow. That's special. great. So that was neat. And also, oh, I, it's not Anne, but the actress who plays Anne, or, she has beautiful hair. <laughs> like that last scene, it was just like, God, I never noticed how beautiful our <laughs> hair was. So yeah, she could be on a hair commercial. All right. So yeah, that's, so that's my part. What, are what, you... what about your, your overall themes? Or well, I think anything? it's just interesting to talk about medicine at this time. I would, like, that's kind of like the, the piece of like how this relates to everyday life is looking at like one thing about this time is like, we also saw them bleeding, bleeding. Um, yes. Yeah. And you know, that was a really common thing was to be bled even, uh, you know, until relatively recent times. Mm. And so, you know, that, that was the first recourse was to, to bleed the toxins and they still went off of the idea of, they went off of the idea of your humors being unbalanced. Mm -hmm. So it went off of the Greek idea that there were four humors. And when you got sick, it was just something in your humors where one humor was stronger than the other. And so the idea was to try to get your stuff back to, That's so crazy. but you know, it's not so much because like we talk about today, like detoxing and you know, even when, no, when know, like I you, go to acupuncture, but you don't you take have, like a quarter of your blood supply. No, no, no. Body. There's that part's crazy. Yeah. But just the, you know, no, I the, think, the idea of being in balance makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Taking a quarter that. of your blood supply doesn't make a lot of like sense. Chopping up your back. Like the dude, that yeah. was just too much. He's like, okay, we're going to cut his back now. Cause I've heard this works. And yeah. it's like, you know, I just was reading a book where um, it's set later. One of the children of uh, Charles I was set after the English Civil War. And basically one of the children died because she was bled too much mm-hmm. and it made her weaker. And then like several months later, another another child got um, the same. Well, she was grown up by that point, mm-hmm. but one of the other children got similar sickness and they wanted to bleed her. And she said, no, 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 I'm not, I refuse to be bled. And like, they were talking about how she made such a big deal out of like, she wasn't a good patient and she, you know, all this kind of stuff, but the refusing to be bled was actually probably what saved her life. Yeah. So, so anyways, sorry to end on a, on a down note. <laughs> Happy 2017, everyone. Yeah, so Tudor Medicine, I'm really glad we have modern medicine now. (laughs) Me too. And um, yeah, so we'll be back pretty soon in the next two weeks or so. Hopefully, yes. And um, we're actually going to be apart. We're going to be on different continents. But but we'll do this via Skype. Yeah, we're going to try and do this intercontinent. We're going to do the next edition will be intercontinental. Yes for for our uh, listening audience so thank you <laughs> thank you for listening thank you all for following happy along 2017 with us and happy oh and watching. go to watching the tutors.com for more information and if you like this show please leave us a rating on itunes yeah, that's the best way to help all people right. find us 